and welcome to the Respectfully Podcast. I'm Nikki Pope, your host for this hairdressing conversation. For this episode, I'm joined by London-based hairdresser Edward James, who is going to talk to me about his take on a new way of hairdressing. He has three salons currently and has evolved a new way of tying together his session styling and his salon business. He's launched a venture called The Hair Consult, which is run on social media and online, marrying together bespoke advice for each client with retail opportunities. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Respectfully Podcast Studio, Edward James. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Nikki. Very excited to be here. Well, I've got a long list of things for us to have a conversation about, and I wanted to say welcome to a local businessman, I I guess to some degree, because you have a salon near where we're recording in Putney, and also in Balham and in... Uh, Northcote Road, Clapham Junction. Clapham, that's right. So we're literally next door to you outside. (laughs) I just nipped out from doing a client to get here. So anybody who's not familiar with the area, this is kind of like South London, a sort of little belt of of areas, if you like, that are fairly sort of um, close by. But you're not actually a Londoner. I'm originally from Dublin, um, but I grew up in London sort of from the age of about seven or eight. And then I also lived in Australia, so I ended up uh, there for six years in my 20s and came back with a bit of a, a mixed weird accent I was going to say I could never I can't I can't hear the Irish there at all did you ever have a, an Irish accent it comes out after a drink I think does it um, yeah or if I <laughs> as, hang as out, most Irish people do yes um or if I hang out with my mum she's uh, every time I speak to her on the phone my um my husband's always like what is going on your accent's just flipped into Irish so it's it, I can't put it on though I can't I can't do a fake Irish accent, unfortunately. No. But are you a bit of a, a chameleon then, that you sort of um, blend with the surroundings? Are you somebody who does that, or do you think that's a hairdressing thing to do? I suppose people I think pleasers. It is. Yeah, I think it is. I think when I lived in Australia, they didn't understand my accent, so I'd be on the phone and I'd say, hi, I used to work in advertising in another lifetime, but um, I'd be on the phone and say, hi, it's Ed calling, and they think it was AD, ad calling, yeah. so I had to then go, it's Ed, it's Ed calling. So then all of a sudden... You start picking up this accent that you don't really intend on having. And then I came back and, and I remember my aunt, she teaches elocution and she was like, darling, she's like, your accent. Um, so, uh, yeah, so then I became a bit more aware of trying to sort of neutralise it. And I guess, it, I think it is a hairdressing thing. I yeah. think, you you know, you want to p- make people feel comfortable. Absolutely. It's absolutely a tray. So you mentioned there that you had a sort of previous career. Tell me about your hairdressing journey. When did you come into hairdressing then? Is that something you've always wanted to do or? Um, so my hairdressing journey is an interesting <laughs> one. I, uh, from the age of four, had this kind of, um, I don't know if you were obsession or interest in hair. I remember having curly hair and really wanting straight hair like my cousin's. Um, and I just have sort of this vivid memory my, of my dad cutting my hair. I used to, I used to really dislike him cutting it. And he would, I mean, I looked like Princess Diana. I just ended up with this very <laughs> big bouffant on my head. Um, and of course they loved the curly hair. And, um, so as I sort of approached my teens, um, my, my parents divorced and my mum would never really treat herself to, you know, going to the salon. So I actually started to colour and learn to well, not even learn, guessed how to sort of cut her hair. Yeah. And I guess what I realised from that was sort of that um, it made her feel really good about yeah. herself. So I think that was probably the first thing that I, you know, I really 
got something from it, not yeah. just from the visual perspective or creative perspective, but the fact that it was treating someone who I really loved to something that, she, you know, she wouldn't really afford to do herself. And then I guess um, my parents were both academics. Mum's a doctor and dad's um, a barrister. And, you know, me saying I wanted to be a hairdresser was not going to really cut it. They were determined yeah. I was going to go to university. So I uh, kind of <laughs> slyly said I, I would take a gap year. Yeah. And I enrolled to do hairdressing, you know, with the with the story being that it was going to be for a gap year. I was oh, actually wow. going to do engineering. Yeah up in Loughborough University I was supposed to do product design and I realized very quickly that I really really loved it and I really loved the environment and I loved um, not just the creative side of it but the people um, and I think um, you know I I came from sort of a, a single family background you know I don't have any siblings so I think that thing of connecting with people was yeah. a really big thing for me wow. um, and then I moved to Australia and I continued to work as a hairdresser but I also trained in colour because originally I trained as a stylist just cutting um, and I worked with Schwarzkopf in Australia and then um, at the time I was seeing someone who had set up a business in advertising so I was helping them to sort of manage the operational side of that which was completely different to yeah. what we had done um, and then I came back to the UK and I worked for Nicky Clark. I sort of went in and I became an operations manager for Nicky Clark running his uh, business. So I ran his four salons um, and also the Procter and Gamble side of his um, product division. So yep. um, on top of that, I did a business degree. <laughs> wow. So and you I, really have like looked at all sides of hairdressing then? I think I... I always sort of believed in working really hard and also learning. And I think, you know, one thing my grandmother sort of said to me was, if you have an unusual skill set, you'll always be employable. And it really stuck with me. So I I think a bit of it was curiosity about, you know, um, understanding business. Um, mm. And then a bit of it was also kind of having the certification saying that, you know, I can, I can do this. Mm. And what I can say to anyone sort of in this industry is it's a bit of both you've got to learn along the way but I think I've probably learned the most from working in business not yeah. necessarily what I've learned at university or doing um, a degree and I think actually it's the life lessons you learn through through working in the industry we're very lucky that we have such a um, an interesting industry and if you're running a business you're dealing with every aspect of business marketing yeah. HR yeah you know um accountancy thank thankfully I don't have to do what's my books anymore what I was going to say <laughs> literally as you were speaking I was thinking so what's been the most challenging aspect of running a business so is it the accounting or is the bit that you're like you're thinking oh okay really happy to hand that bit over it depends on the day of the week <laughs> I think I think um I think it's nice to have an, a knowledge of accountancy so I mean I would probably go to jail if I was responsible for doing my accounts <laughs> because you know it, it's all uh, computerized now and yeah we've got I think an amazing a bookkeeper yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. but when I first started it wasn't and um, it was actually um, an old school friend who became my accountant and, and they were sort of helping me initially um, but in terms of you know I think it's tailoring your business to your local market and I think that that's probably the hardest bit at the beginning you know when you open a new location or you open a brand new business you really need to research who your client is. And I think that 
probably is the hardest bit. It's making sure that you're right. hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. You know. So you're not just imposing your vision. You're actually reading the the high street and saying, okay, well, who is actually going to walk in here? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think yeah. We we're about to open um, our fourth branch in Richmond, actually. Um, mm. Yeah. So ex- exclusive news here. And I oh, exciting. And very relevant, because I live in Richmond. Oh, well, you'll have to pop I in. I will pop in and, and see. Brilliant. Um, and, you know, it's obviously different. It's a different market to Ballam yeah. or Putney. So, yeah. you know, we're not naive to that. We kind of, we, we really want to sort of uh, find local businesses to collaborate and local individuals yeah. to collaborate to read. with. So you've, this will be your fourth. You have three salons, which I know you've had for a while. Have you set them up as startups or have you acquired businesses? How how have you grown your, your Edward James salon? Uh, it's a really good question. I started each one from scratch. Um, and we, we at one point looked at acquiring a business, actually. And having sort of looked at the nuts and bolts of what that would entail, I kind of, I came to the conclusion my business and and the vision of my business is very specific and to be able to change um, certain things like contracts uh, of employment for existing employees it wouldn't necessarily have worked with our schedule so we for me one of the big things uh, about our salon brand is giving our staff a work-life balance Um, so we have two teams in every location um, and two salon managers in, in every location. So they get every second weekend off. Right. And it's really a way of ensuring that they don't burn out. Um, most individuals, if they have a partner um, working in our industry, probably won't have a hairdressing partner. Yeah. Um, like my husband's a lawyer, for example. And it means that, you know, often they won't be on the same work schedule which can put a lot of strain yeah and were you doing this pre-covid because i know post-covid people are looking at trying to install that before was this something you've always done no we've done it um pretty much from i would say the second year into the business and we're in year 12 now so we were one of the first to do it um and it has its challenges you know in terms of having the the rotor schedules are quite complicated but on the whole the staff really love it really enjoy it so what, because th- this brings us on to perhaps a bit more of a sort of broader discussion about how things have changed for hairdressing in the last two or three years, you know, because of or accelerated by the COVID experience. And it feels to me like there's a bit of resistance among the hairdressing industry to this idea that people don't have to work three weekends out of four and, you know, long hours and late nights and opening on a Saturday, probably a Sunday and a Monday. So I think there's that resistance perhaps from people who because they didn't do that coming up they don't really see why they should do it now and yet it's a bit of a no-brainer for keeping staff where where do you think the resistance is coming from and what would you say to encourage somebody to say look it's not that bad Uh, (laughs) or is it i don't know (laughs) it's a really really good point uh nikki i think what it comes down to is in this day and age people expect more they they want more from um their employer um and i i think it comes down to you know i i believe you know uh when i was an assistant and i love when hairdressers go when i was an assistant (laughs) we never even used to get a lunch break yeah and the thing is if that was the case it wasn't right and i think people should be entitled to an, an amazing work environment 
uh, and be able to have a lunch break and mm. be able, you know, I think I think some of these um, sort of attributes to our industry, whether they're rushed or they don't have time to sort of sit down and take a moment, um, maybe is viewed in a negative light by older hairdressers in the industry where, you know, um, it's a perception of laziness. I yeah. do think... I do think that the work-life balance um, paradigm has shifted in terms, in not just our industry, but across yeah, the board. Across the board, you know, definitely, definitely. I can see it with our clients coming in. I think our our salons really are a third space for people to come to. So it's not their home, it's not their work. And, you know, one of the, the, the key words I would use to describe our spaces is um, an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Essentially, it might be the experience that they want to have Wi-Fi and they want to sit there and work um, and sit in silence and not be asked, are they going anywhere nice on holiday? holiday, (laughs) (laughs) But equally, they might want to sit there and they might want a glass of champagne and a head massage and they might want to be asked, are they going somewhere nice on holiday? So it's kind of it. We've shifted and how people use their their week has shifted. Our clients are coming in. they're, They're still working, but they're having their hair done. And I think with hairdressing. Similarly, you know, unfortunately, we can't work from home. That's one thing yeah. that we are very much restricted on. But where I think that there can be shifts is how we're working and how we're learning and mm. and how we're progressing. And I think, um, I think younger people, and not just younger people, you know, we have um, trainees who are in their forties uh, working with us. Um, they want to progress, and and I think as an employer, I want to see them progress. I, yeah. you know, that's what makes me really yeah. proud of what I do yeah I think it's that investment isn't it people want to feel in, invested in um and and part of the story rather than just a sort of money making machine which is massively yeah. I think it's it's feeling like you're valued yeah and that you know that you're you're purposeful and you you know you yeah. add value and, and I think any good. salon owner over the last you know several decades would say of course you value your staff that's what your business runs on but perhaps the disconnect is where people haven't felt that they've been valued that perhaps they don't you know feel that value now let's talk about the hair consult because this is a very interesting idea which again it's kind of it all makes sense but how do you how do you describe the hair consult Met you at a party. What do you do? I've just launched the hair consult. Tell me what it's it is. It's like the elevator pitch. Isn't yes. It? <laughs> oh, no pressure. Um, the hair consult came out of COVID. It was something that I had been thinking about before COVID in terms of clients coming into the salon. And I'm not talking just my salon, but any salon I've worked in, um, not buying the right hair care or not knowing what the right hair care was. Yeah. Um, and then also hairdressers not wanting to feel like they're salespeople. I think mm. we, as hairdressers, we, we feel there's a trust that we yeah. have built up with a client. And it's, it's that thing of going, oh, do you want shampoo? Yeah. Yeah. Even when <laughs> they ask for it, they're like, oh, well, you don't have to buy. You've spent enough. Don't buy anything. I know. It's, it's just, but then they're going to go and buy the wrong one. Yeah, so absolutely. I came to the conclusion that enough is enough. And, um, you know, online, you go online and um, how online works is they push product mm-hmm. and they push um, basically on mass sales and it's not really about what's right for your hair necessarily and a lot of the sites and I'm not going to mention any but a lot of the go-to beauty sites um, will basically be selling them either on a discount or just because it's kind of a very well-known brand of product so yeah. what I sort of really 
noticed in the lockdowns was we had clients contacting us and they were desperate for advice as most hairdressers probably did um either if it was a color maintenance thing um or if it was a styling or some, something to tide them through yeah. or make them feel good because they couldn't get the salon fix that they yeah. wanted and so i was having a chat with my husband um one evening and i just said it's really frustrating i feel like you know there isn't really a platform or an advisory service for people. Yes, of course, certain beauty brands have adopted uh, consultations for skincare. Um, for example, uh, Trini London and her makeup. She does yep. sort of a um, sort of a skin analysis, and you know it's it's really clever. But when it comes to hair, there really isn't anything that mm -hmm. equates. And so we kind of came to I came to the conclusion: why not create this? And I thought, how hard can it be to set up a website? And how wrong it was. What's the answer? Yeah, quite <laughs> it's hard. Really hard. <laughs> um, especially when you've got like 5,000 SKUs of products. So, mm. what the, the basis behind our uh, concept was, it isn't brand loyal. Right. And that's where, you know, if you're working in a salon and you work, you know, work predominantly with a particular brand in that salon, you feel like that's the one that yeah. you have to promote. And we're not brand uh, loyal. We. Sort of now, who is we? Is it Edward James, or is it a separate? It's completely business? separate, right? Um, and it really, it's been it's been set up by myself. Um, my husband's actually sort of in charge of operational, um, yeah, operational side, and then Cara Johnson is really in charge of our brand and also um, creating the site. And and um, her background is sort of fashion and visual, right? Um, and we really sort of wanted to do something that was not salesy but that was actually going to give people advice it was going to give a platform for professional hairdressers to share their advice right um so it's it's encompassing hairdressers it's not excluding hairdressers which is something that i felt very passionately yep. about and it involves sort of you know heads of different brands so chris appleton for example uh for color well you know there's different different uh, brand ambassadors and we kind of wanted it to be a platform that is really giving the consumer advice but also uh, allowing hairdressers to come forward and go actually I'm really passionate about curly hair textured hair how can you get more out of that yeah if you're growing your hair for your wedding what you know what can you do to get your hair in tip-top shape um, also how do I style it or how do I you know manage right. it for an interview or how do I do it you know so that I'm not damaging it so we wanted to create this entire space uh, and platform f oh, that we cool. can kind of educate people and also in increase learning so how does it work so um i had a look on it so you have some things that are posted on there some content like videos and how to's but there is an element of i could actually book a consultation right and get a one-to-one -one. How, how would that work yep so you can book an online consultation with a hair professional so it's not a salesperson it's not someone who's um, sort of read the back of the labels and you know yeah. giving you <laughs> it's not my husband yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a journalist <laughs> and, and the idea is really sort of to really talk through um, in a real way what your lifestyle is what the issues you, you're experiencing it could be care issues it could be that you're finding your hair's really limp or that you've got scalp issues we have a huge number of um, uh, issues surrounding scalp and hair loss especially yeah. after covid yeah. um and so sometimes people are embarrassed to talk about these or if they've got very bad psoriasis on the scalp you know they're a bit embarrassed to show a hairdresser 
So they'll have the consultation, um, and we really want to find out what it is that is most important or most pressing. Right. And then from that, we will sort of also look at, do they have any preferences around the type of products they're using? Do they have a preference for vegan products? Um, right. Natural products? Yeah. Are they price conscious? What is it that is important to them? And then we can put sort of forward some different um, care routines for them or styling routines and actually take the time to show them how to style their hair or how how to care for their hair and actually even things like advising them on what not to do you know often uh, yeah I, um, I actually did a consultation last week and um, was advising someone to actually stop shampooing their hair so frequently you know because it was literally yeah, get the breaking causing it, issues so. so I would book a consult so that's I would pay for that. So it's a book. It's a so it's redeemable against your product spend. And so, in theory, if you book a consultation, you get all of that back with the product that you're buying. Okay. So I, I could book, talk to you over Zoom or something, right? You can see me. We can chat. And then there is the the retail part of the of the concept is that then you have a sort of cupboard full. And I know you do work with a range of brands. I've seen on there: Aveda, Colorwell, GHD, Kerastars, Orbe. All these lovely brands, OA, yeah. and more. <laughs> how how supportive have they been? Have they felt that is there has there been any anxiety that you're undermining what they offer, or is it have they, have they been supportive in this? Not at all. Actually, quite the opposite. I think um, these brands. We actually um, you have to be a salon essentially, right. or a hair care professional. Yeah. Um, so Joe Blogs down the road can't just start you know selling yeah. professional hair care. So I think. The fact that it's actually professionals promoting it and it's it's a new platform and it's online and it's it's more innovative and it's using technology that's more innovative. Um, they're really behind. Um, and in a way, it's also allowed sort of users to sort of access it at a time that, that's convenient. I think right. you know, it's not necessarily that they have to book an appointment in the salon they can they can do it online from the comfort of their own home which again is not something that's really available yeah it's difficult unless yeah. a particular salon's doing it do you think it is something so somebody listening to this part of my head's thinking that somebody might be going oh you're actually stealing my clients away by offering this or do you think it's the way forward do you think this is a sort of model that you see happening in other countries maybe do you think it's something that people could be thinking about emulating um outside of the uk absolutely that's possible um i think for us in terms of stealing things away i don't i feel it's kind of the opposite i think right. um the risk at the moment with hairdressing is uh, and it's not just the cost of living crisis but the overheads for rents yeah. and the cost of electricity and it means there's less time and less money going into education mm -hmm. necessarily around um, product education or, you know, and so part of it was really about educating clients on what the right hair care is. And essentially we wanted it to be a platform where we can share and highlight other hairdressers and their work and their experience um, rather than it just being some nameless website or yeah. non-hair professionals so really it was it was a case of wanting to actually create a bit more showmanship for yeah. hairdressers no, no, and I agree I think it's a good way of prom 
safeguarding or promoting the expertise of the hairdresser, which is something that people do talk a lot about. Absolutely. And a lot of people talk about how the consultation is the most important part of a salon visit. But I think it's interesting that you're saying, okay, it doesn't have to be a salon visit. It can be a... No, and also, like, I know running a column and you're back to back and you just kind of, you, you know, you go, oh, well, I'll show you how to do that at the end. And all of a sudden you get that tap on the shoulder, yeah. your next client's here and you kind of go, oh, I haven't got time to show you, you know, yeah. or show them as easily and get them to try out the styling tool or yeah. whatever it is. And I think it, you feel like you're letting them down if you can't do that. And often you'll have to rebook them in again. And, um, and so I would much rather be able to say, I really love this go on here, um, look at this video, it's going to show you, yep. try it at home and come in if you can't manage it and I will yeah. show you. So it was kind of... Because otherwise, I mean, people are doing it anyway, right? So yeah. I mean, that's one of the issues of TikTok, isn't it? It's, it's full of people who don't necessarily know what they're doing, but Too they are presenting. TikTok, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my guilty pleasure, or secret, guilty secret rather. <laughs> it's that, yes, it's full of people who are showing how to do things in any industry actually you can sort of it's a show and tell platform really but it's not always good information just because it's out there doesn't make it right it's a bit what we all used to say about the internet you know just because it's online doesn't make it true just because it's in wikipedia doesn't make it hundred percent. and then you've got to also question is it being sponsored or you know a lot yeah. of what we see on instagram a lot of it's sponsored um you know i've actually done an influencer's hair and then seen them post the following week saying they're using a completely different colour system yeah. um, God, and it, it goes well it goes on and you know it, it, people I think that's the thing people question maybe yeah. the authenticity of, of what yeah. they're seeing you know a lot of the makeovers um, you know that you see on Instagram or TikTok when they come in or sorry when we have clients coming in they sort of say I want to go from box dyed black one end to platinum blonde in one go and look they did it on instagram yeah. or you're <laughs> thinking it's impossible, it's you impossible. Know, so and it doesn't do overnight no. definitely what's the biggest product fail from the consumer is it using the wrong product or is it how they use it is there something that you just think oh god if i could just have a pound for every time i've given somebody that piece of advice is it the same things that keep coming up or are people a bit more savvy than they used to be they're definitely more savvy than they used to be. I think they're more determined to do it at home. I think the pandemic made them more determined, you know. Yeah. Um, I think where people struggle maybe is um, they might be very good at tonging one side of their hair, but they struggle with the other. And it's just, yeah. you know. Like dexterity. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, how it's do you hard. Move your, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you find that? Difficult. Even <laughs> after all these years, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I end up going back to the sort of smoothing straightening process because I still can't get, yeah I just can't go tonguing I'm not too bad it's the it's using the stylers to create the bend I've never really been able and to it's do it's getting the bend right and, and yeah. in the right place because you can end up looking a bit like one side's slightly fried yeah. but yeah it, it definitely has something to do with the practical side of it although there's some very good heat stools heat tools not heat stools <laughs> <laughs> um on the market um you know and We've all seen sort of the ads for Dyson um, and I think GHD have just brought out a new styling product as well. So definitely there are better tools available. I think it's understanding certain things about lifestyle, whether in London we have very hard water, that can affect some of the products that you're using. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like there's a there's a metal, um, anti-metal uh, remover shampoo. And actually I found with hard water that can 
not be as effective. It can actually right. make it feel a bit um, like there's a, a sort of a residue on the hair. Right. So I think it's kind of understanding each individual geographic yeah, the location definitely, definitely. and circumstances and also local, you know, what the local community sort of yeah. is looking for. And I think also the... Um, but uh, is using the products in the right way. I watched something recently where I realised that there's a sort of bond builder that I've been using in my hair, and, I, and it was only when I saw somebody demonstrating it that I realised that actually I haven't been emulsifying it enough and I haven't been waiting for it to sort of, you know, change colour. I've just yeah. been, like, layering it on. And I think the overuse of products or the incorrect amount of products is um, a Absolutely. Big thing. It can get even more worrying, though. I had a client recently in Putney who had... Um, in one of the lockdowns bought a certain brand of bond builder and and they basically used the wrong one on dry hair used straightening irons on their hair and their hair literally broke off from almost sort of an inch from the root yeah. so oh my gosh. and yeah. then looking online there have been a number of cases of yeah. that so it it is that thing of making sure people not just they get great hair but also they don't have the <laughs> inadvertently lose their hair <laughs> exactly well, how do you explain that one away now you'd be definitely going to an online uh, uh, consultation after that and not 100%. leaving the house but that yeah do you think that bro- broadening out to the industry so you've done something here which is quite um of the zeitgeist it's of the times it's it's you know you saying okay this is what people want to do they want to be able to talk to people from their own home they want to be able to speak at different times a day and to learn how to use things do you think generally there's a lot of anxiety in hairdressing at the moment about the way business models are changing that consumer behavior is changing there's lots of sort of concerns some of it i would say i can understand why totally over you know recruitment and people coming into the industry and are we attracting enough people and what's going to happen broadly do you find hairdressing to be progressive and dynamic and open arms enough or do you think that we sometimes get a little bit insular what's your take on the industry i think um as hairdressers we we essentially are problem solvers when clients come in and you know whether it's a color correction you're dealing with or whether it's someone's in floods of tears because their partner's left them you're you're constantly sort of coming up with solutions or listening I think that we are dynamic, but I think it's having the time to learn, you know, f- for example, I struggle to get work up on Instagram um, because I'm back to back with clients and, mm-hmm. and any hairdresser out there knows, you know, it takes time to not only learn how to take really good photos, um, whether it's the angles or how you're brushing it or how you're styling it. Yeah and the lighting, and um, having the right hair, having the right model. Um, it takes time, and then it also takes time to actually book it out of your column, and you yeah. don't necessarily have that. So it puts hairdressers under quite a lot of pressure to yeah. kind of try and give this online sort of branding and persona of who they are and their work. Um, and, I mean, I, I love going through Instagram and looking at all the different sort of inspo photos or Pinterest um, and I do find it really, really interesting. But I think in terms of um, how we work online, we, we did quite a lot of education online through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it was a very different way of learning. I think as creatives, we want to get our hands sort of dirty and get, you know, really yeah. try stuff out. And we would have maybe a two hour learning experience on Zoom. And it was very, it was hard. I mean, I found it hard to sit there for two hours. Um, and actually 
absorb everything. So yeah. I think part of us being human finds our attention, you know, and I, I think because hairdressers work generally in blocks of time, like a half an hour, an hour, yeah. three quarters of an hour, we're very much used to that, and I certainly am. I think when you start working in a new way, whether it's online or whether, you know, um, it's virtually, I think it does, it it can be quite exhausting. It takes yeah. a lot more energy than you yeah. think it does. So I think we definitely have progressed and I think it has enabled us to access different education platforms. Um, but I still think that ultimately people want that hands-on yeah. approach and experience. Yeah. It's about being sociable. I think never... A a truer word is said hairdressers are sociable and that means amongst themselves with their clients you know you want to be we just want to all want to be together we do <laughs> which is the joy of it as well I think what keeps you positive and and focused what's what's your I think um oh, there's loads of things I uh, I genuinely love I've got the best job in the world I love being a hairdresser and I think it was voted the the happiest job yeah or the, it's like, always up there with yeah the, the and it's very true yeah. you know I, I still love what I do I still run a column four days a week um I probably do too many hours I probably do sort of 12 hour days four days a week because I love it and I love my clients and I love being with my team and I love sort of seeing how they're getting on it's a really good way for me to sort of see what's going on but I think the things that make me positive um are different to what they were maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So now seeing one of our sort of more junior staff doing a, an amazing colour correction or um, progressing onto getting on the floor, you know, they're the things that really make me feel really good. And, yeah. and sort of part of what I do with our general manager, Natalie Love, is we run sort of further education for fully qualified hairdressers in the business because... I think we all need to continue learning, including me. Yeah. Um, and that's what keeps you fresh. I think the minute you stop learning, and I think after the pandemic, we were so busy, just heads down. Let's make sure, you know, terrified that we weren't going to cover our costs. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like everything else was secondary. PR, marketing, everything was, you know, education. And I think now we've kind of come out of it and we've kind of gone, right, let's, let's do some exciting stuff, which is why I think we're seeing so many different haircuts evolving like <laughs> 90s mullets and and you know like we're seeing yeah. a lot more fun in in the salons yeah. um than we did maybe two three years ago people want a new they want to yeah they want, they want to, to experiment. Like breathe again and they do and flourish that's brilliant well my final question i'm asking everybody these days what three words would you like do you like to be attributed to you in your professional capacity what do you what are the three words that you think oh it's oh, great just three. Yeah, just three you can hyphenate a couple of them if you need to uh, I think going back to exper experiential mm. I would say is really important because I feel like when I went into when I set up my own business it was a case of trying to marry sort of the luxury feeling of the west end with convenience but now it's not necessarily people want each person wants a unique experience yeah. so I think experiential uh, creativity, mm -hmm. because I, I feel like it, with the one industry that is never going to die, and we've you know whether it's new techniques or modernising old looks, whatever it is. So I think that that's a huge part of it. And well, the things we've touched on, positivity is is clearly something that you have. But I think you're very 
open-minded, aren't you? You're very flexible. If you think about your career journey, that's something that comes over to me is that you have, you know, allowed new ideas I think, yeah, to I resonate think, with you. I think em- empathy is a really big thing for me because I think understanding where people are coming from, whether that's staff or whether that's um, the person sitting in your chair, you know, I think, I think, and then making a plan because that's where you've got to, you know, you can't fight it. People want different things. So you yeah. kind of got to, I think that's where the entrepreneur comes out and kind of goes, right, let's try and make a, yeah. a plan for this. So yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Empathy, creativity and experiential. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Nikki. Thank you, Edward James. Thank you to my guest today, Edward James, who certainly lives up to his three words of creativity, experiential and empathy. If you'd like to find out more about his business, then have a look at the show notes that go with this podcast and follow the leads to his Instagram and website accounts. If you like what you hear, also have a look at the other Respectfully podcasts on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review us as it helps drive us up the charts. Until next time, goodbye.